Hi, I'm Theo Finnegan from the English Department at Vancouver Island University. Welcome to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities. We introduce you to the people and passions of the Faculty of Arts and Humanities at VIU and share stories about events and projects happening on campus. talking to Professor Katarina Litva from VIU's Interior Design Department. On Friday, October 21st, from 10 till 11.30 in the Malaspina Theatre and also live streaming on YouTube, Katarina will give a presentation titled Spatial Impacts of Policy on Poverty and Affordable Housing Over Time. Katarina has a master's degree in historic preservation and conservation from the University of Kentucky in Louisville. She also has a background as a professional interior designer and preservation specialist. So you started out your professional life, if I'm, I'm correct, in interior design, like uh, working in interior design, and then moved into more, more sort of academic work after that. Is that, is that correct? Yes. I, uh, I've been working, I was working as an interior designer for a number of years before yep. I started teaching part-time back when it was Malaspina University yep. uh, College. Uh, and then um, years later, I had had my own practice and uh, decided to um, take, you know, teaching a little bit further and, and I came on full time and, uh, you know, practiced and uh, taught. And then it just kind of got to a point where it was a little bit hard to do both uh, mm. really well full time. So then I just started um, uh, just teaching full time. So that transition, was it sort of like a natural evolution? Did it just happen over time? Was there a kind of moment where you were like, I want to sort of move more to teaching or what, how, how did that sort of transition unfold? I've always loved school. So that's, that's something that I've just loved being sort of in that environment. Uh, but I actually got, I was working um, on my own. I was teaching part-time, but I had my own practice and uh, had some large projects. I had employees, but I actually got sick. So um, I, uh, I got cancer and I went through treatment and after that, I realized that I needed to sort of transition. So it was that, that actually I decided to move more into teaching uh, because I couldn't sort of do both. And uh, it was, I didn't really have a, a good work-life balance. So, um, and I felt that I had had a lot of really successful projects in interior design. And I decided that um, I'm happy with where I was with my, with my career. I loved school. I loved engaging with students, sharing my knowledge. And it just seemed like a natural place to go um, to sort of share that knowledge and be in that, in that educational environment. Right. Interesting. Can you talk a bit about your academic journey then to being a prof here at VIU in 2022? You've traveled a bit with your studies. You've been to different places. Um, I'm particularly interested in... I guess more generally your experience of living and studying in Louisville. In my undergrad, I was really into the study of William Faulkner, like Mississippi novelist. Mm -hmm. So the South's always fascinated me. And I'm just curious about, mm -hmm. you know, how was your experience living there and studying there? I absolutely loved 
going to school in Kentucky, um, I, I had researched a number of universities uh, for historic preservation before I actually went to, uh, went to Kentucky. Um, and it was one of the, I did mostly coastal and I was trying to go somewhere that was warmer. So I ended up in Kentucky. Uh, also, Kentucky is the horse capital of the world. Yeah. And I love horses and I thought, okay, that's a good transition. And I had never really been there, had never really heard of it other than, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, like many of us, yeah. I think. <laughs> um, but the experience that I had was I have to say that it was probably one of some of the you know one of the best experiences of my life going uh, going there as an adult and uh, going back to school and uh, learning um, when I wanted to learn sort of not necessarily as a younger person I did well in school before but I just um, I embraced it and it was a really great experience. Um, I uh, lived in Lexington, which is about an hour away from Louisville. So Lexington is where uh, the University of Kentucky is. And um, the relationships that I had with peers, with um, the, my professors, uh, was just wonderful, really good relationship. And I, and I still keep in touch with them. But just the, um, the people uh, of the city itself uh, was really, was really, really interesting. And I had uh, I never had any negative experiences. Of course, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming in as a Canadian um, a little bit different than what maybe some people who live there or grow up there. But my my experience living there um, was very positive. Uh, what drew me there, though, is the architecture. So living in, you know, in B.C. and on Vancouver Island, you know, we were, you know, sort of the oldest buildings that we have around our area are probably around early 1900s, if we even have anything of that really around anymore. Um, and I stood in buildings in Lexington, in Kentucky, that were from the 1700s. Um, so it was just to have that sort of history and the architecture was very different. Um, we have a west coast style here so just being very different lots of brick um and even lots of wood there but just different architecture different style so that's what um, i found really fascinating and that there were so many buildings that were so much older than the island that i was standing in yeah. so that was that was already really interesting but the people were fabulous people were really wonderful there in your presentation um for the colloquium you're going to talk about a, a range of things right but but one thing um, that I picked up on in, in in the blurb I was reading was, you know, how designating a, a neighborhood as quote unquote historic um, yes. can lead to um, consequences for things like gentrification and therefore sort of marginalizing certain demographics, right? That there's a sort of downside to, you know, on the one hand, respecting history and, and retaining history, but it can also have sort mm -hmm. of unintended or, or maybe sometimes intended consequences. Um, so did you, I mean, to, you're obviously, you were focused in your graduate work on a spe specific place and context, um, Louisville. And I should try yes. to say that right. <laughs> I noticed that I, I say it's, it's Louisville, right? Like, so not Louisville. <laughs> Correct. Well, I, you know, it's funny because probably before I lived there, I would have yeah. I think I probably would have called it Louisville, which a lot of people do. But uh, being there, um, I, I actually there was one native Kentuckian who I heard called uh, call Louisville Louisville. Yes. But everybody else is it's uh, my understanding of it's Louisville. So it's just kind of 
it kind of just goes into one word. So <laughs> I'm going to try again, Louisville. Um, there you go. So, so what about um, so Nanaimo, right? Like where yes. where you're living now, and and um, and and where you've you've lived before. Um, do, do you see parallels? I mean, obviously, you're saying the architecture is really different. Is are the issues around gentrification the same? Are there are there differences? Could you talk a little bit around around that? What started me on that project, that research project, was the idea that you keep hearing that historic preservation causes gentrification and displacement. Um, so I'm going to actually talk a little bit about that at the colloquium, just sort of mm. defining what I understand gentrification to be and uh, displacement. But um, looking at it, historic preservation has had a bad rap, and, but it doesn't always correlate to that. Although people, that was one of the things that I wanted to find out. And um, what I found in, in Louisville is um, similar to what you would find in other cities. Uh, things like, you know, we hear about London or New York or San Francisco, that gentrification that's happening there basically displaces the, you know, the, the low income and marginalized uh, people of the population, which are generally immigrants um, and people of color. So we are a little bit different in Canada. We have, but we still have similar types of situations. So it really doesn't matter where you are in the world. This is going to happen. And it happens all over uh, people being displaced because of um, economic development or what people are uh, referring to as gentrification. So there are different um, responses to that. Um, having said that, there's always um, going to be some parallels with what we have happening here. And the problem, I don't think gentrification is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, gentrification has a bad um, rap. It has a negative connotation. But the, what gentrification actually is, is not a bad thing. I look at term in terms of gentrification and displacement being two different things. Right. So displacement is a negative impact to that. And, and that's often... That often happens when there's unfettered, you know, economic development happening and without considering who's currently living in the neighborhood. Um, so it's and it's actually a really big issue. It's not one thing. It's private development, but also government. Everybody sort of has to come in and have a role and play equally with that. And there is a lot of solutions that that we can do as citizens. We don't have necessarily the same um, type of. I think incentive financial incentives that they do in the States for using um, reusing like adaptive reuse or historic buildings um, or, but we can still do things like land trusts, which would then uh, allow people to live in a neighborhood and they can purchase um, the house, but they are not necessarily purchasing the land. So they can, they can live in the house, they can sell the house, but then the land is held in trust and that that is a, a way that things are more affordable. And they use that in the States a lot. And they do a lot of that in Kentucky and Lexington uh, for specific, um, you know, residential neighborhoods. So people can they can move in. It's certainly more affordable and they can go there. And I don't know. I don't think that we use any of those. I understand. I know that in um, in the Okanagan, my parents live on uh, First Nations land. So First Nations own the land. They pay their property tax to the First Nations, but they own the building. They have a 99-year or 120-year lease. Right. Um, so there are different situations that we could look at here to accommodate more affordable housing. Um, but I don't think that we've done that yet. And I'm not sure. If, I know there's so many issues that we could be looking at. Um, mm -hmm. I just don't think that we're quite there yet. But, uh, but hopefully we will be there soon. Hi there. This is Ben Henriquez from the Music Department at Vancouver Island University. 
and you are listening to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Coming to VIU, what I found so great are these opportunities to have conversations. It is really a privilege to bring your research to a broader audience. It's the human connection. It's full of music and celebration and color. A totally different worldview that is in so many ways so much healthier for the planet we all share. It's great to make those connections and it's great to be able to have those conversations. To create meaningful and positive change in communities. So why not use the arts to have a conversation about how the arts can have an impact? So to some extent, there's a kind of problem of terminology, right? Where, yeah, if you say gentrification, if I hear that word, I'm like, ooh, like my reaction is sort of, oh, that's bad. But in my hometown, They've, they've done up a lot of old warehouses from 130 mm-hmm. years ago, which were, are not in, you know, they're not in a, I mean, no one was living there. No one was uh, yes. using those buildings. And so it was a sort of not blighted, but it was just kind of this empty part of town. And, and so they've kind of done up these warehouses into offices and some apartments. And obviously that's kind of benefiting a, cer- a certain demographic, but, but it's also making that part of town, you know, walkable, there's coffee, yeah. you can go get, there's places you can gather. They have a, 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 a annual kind of night market there um, that, you know, sort of like a festival type thing. So so that, I don't know if that's an example of where quote unquote gentrifying some buildings mm-hmm. has actually a kind of knock-on effect that's that's uh, a net positive, I, I would suggest. Yeah. You've taken a vacant building, something that could potentially be a safety hazard um, for many reasons, because they're vacant, people could be uh, using that for nefarious purposes, or just the fact that it's empty and mm. that people don't want to walk there. So once you start making those buildings alive with people, mm. and especially when you have residences and um, commercial spaces together, it keeps us, it keeps the neighborhood alive um, and coffee shops and residences keep it rather than just, uh, and that's really what people like about um, historic neighborhoods is that mm. they are generally mixed use neighborhoods. So people are, they're usually, you know, resident retail stores or offices or something on the main floor and residences above. And they are alive all day and all night because people are living there, not like a business district that at five o'clock kind of shuts down. So it does have some benefits. And mm. if there are times when people you know, there are things that you can do when you are creating uh, residential new apartments. You can have a certain, this is again, where in the States, they they do a better job from my understanding. I don't know all the Canadian uh, laws and policies, but you can have, um, you can get a, a low income housing tax credit if you have a certain portion of the building um, accommodate or be set aside for low income in- individuals. So it would be mixed use housing. So you would have market rate and then you would have some affordable housing um, within the same unit so then you've got and and if you were creating um an apartment or a a condominium then you could you know have that sort of complex type of relationship where you have mixed income and you are accommodating some lower income and people get to then experience and live in different parts of towns as well that maybe they wouldn't necessarily be because um Honestly, when you look at condos that are being created, it's really about profit. But if there is a tax incentive that they can put towards it, 
then and and that tends to be um, a way that the uh, Americans can get more low-income housing within their uh, within their new construction. It's interesting. To, I mean, this is a bit of an aside, but like I think about where I live, which is sort of Hammond Bay area, and mm-hmm. and that which is lo- I love it, but it's very suburban, yeah. and so you can't really walk anywhere. I mean, I can walk to the beach, which is nice, but there's no. Yes. There's no amenities. So like if I yes. want to go get a coffee, you have to drive somewhere. Um, yeah. If you want to go hang out with pe- people, you have to drive somewhere. Um, and there's not even any sidewalks um, in this neighborhood, really. Like if you go for a walk, you're yeah. just on the road, basically. Um, and so it's a, it, I guess the, it's not really a question, but like the, the idea that you sort of shape, we, we shape our social lives through how yeah. our environments are built. Um, yeah. Sort of the, the bigger yeah. the bigger issue behind all of this, right? Does that change how uh, people view preservation? Like, if here in Nanaimo, our built environment is quite recent, right? Um, and it, does it does it yeah. create a sort of less care for that environment if it sort of seems really recent? I, I, I lived in Edmonton for a good chunk of time in grad mm-hmm. school, and there seemed to be a similar issue there where there was sort of no, there's not a lot of buildings that are older than whatever right like they're quite recent buildings yeah. and a lot of stuff has been knocked down so like a cavalier attitude at, at, at least on yes. the surface towards your your built history does that is that just yes. a, a factor of time or or what do you think's going on there i i think it i think it is a factor of time but i also think it is uh dependent on whether people want to keep um anything existing and I mean the the we are new but there are some older buildings within mm. uh, Nanaimo but many of them um, have been left uh, they, you know, I'm just thinking of some of the ones right down on the water they could have been I think now they sort of it's demolition by neglect if you leave it right. for so long eventually the building will just start be, it will be unsafe but um, uh, there are so many buildings that can be restored and, and it's also a, a you know a, an environmentally responsible thing is we're you know we're, we're talking about climate change and we're talking about using um, you know reusing recycling but we don't think about that in buildings yeah. uh, very often so we have this existing building that we're not really doing anything with um, and and I think because part of it is because we are a younger uh, country but if we don't preserve anything that we have we're not going to have anything for the future mm-hmm. and um, it's a matter of uh, you know I'm not talking about having buildings be living museums all the time because there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of house museums and and stuff like that in the states and here as well but it's about giving a new life to a building that is there yeah. so that so that it can remain but we can still have the use of it um, further east in Canada though there is more um, you know, older buildings. If you look at the East Coast, they have more preservation efforts, I think, happening there just because they have the building stock. And what you're talking about your hometown is, you know, when that sometimes happens, if they are sort of left, and I think well, that's one of the reasons that Lexington does um, have a really significant amount of historic buildings is because it's not necessarily a very wealthy state. So there's there are new buildings, of course, going in, but um, there's not this idea of tearing everything down and building new, which can happen sometimes in wealthier places because they just think, well, we're going to replace the old with new. Um, so sometimes when they are left, uh, then you realize that there's sort of a gem there. And it there is actually a lot of research been done that historic neighborhoods 
bring are, are economically viable. They mm-hmm. actually bring in a lot of tourists. They bring in a lot of people to the downtown areas or to those um, historic areas because it's that sense of place. It's that character that they don't always get when they are in like a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I go downtown Vancouver and I'll go to Robson over Pacific Centre, but that's just because I love being on the inside outside. And that's kind of what it's like in a historic neighborhood um you know you you go in and out of the stores there are usually smaller um you know little boutique stores uh owner operators rather than the big chains because that's what they you know that's where they can actually afford the rent it's a little bit cheaper going into a mall it's very expensive but you also get those unique qualities of different types of retail stores um in those small areas One thing you said uh, jumped out at me uh, a couple of minutes ago, the idea of sort of, um, you know, preservation is not quite the same thing as, um, you know, having the past uh, reappear exactly as it was. I'm I'm thinking of the, so these buildings I was talking about in my hometown, sort of stretch Mm -hmm. of old warehouses. So they've been renovated and, and, you know, made nice again. But they've, a lot of them have these really cool contemporary street art murals, like huge murals on the side of the walls. And so it's not like, oh, we need to redo this building and have it exactly as it was in 1870, uh, right. which, which sometimes you want to do because it's a really you know important building or whatever. But, but they're kind of yeah. alive with contemporary yes. use, but also contemporary aesthetics and and. and um, you know, you can do this really great street tour there of of all of the street art on the on in this precinct, and it's it's sort of I, I don't know I I really like that combination of of kind of respect for the the past, but it's not nostalgic in a way. It's, there's a sort of irreverence there too, um, which I find mm-hmm. an, it's an interesting kind of mix. And that's one of the benefits of being able to take a, a, an existing building and give it a new use, adaptive reuse. Is we're not trying to necessarily you're not trying to preserve everything you have to update it a lot of these buildings were built when we don't have proper electrical uh, fire safety code so of course we have to upgrade them but we can do that in a way that respects the architecture and sometimes even the interiors so that we are honoring the building and representing a part of our past but making it a, a livable part of our present so you're obviously very busy with teaching and uh with 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 your colloquium presentation and so on but so yes. when you ha- when you have some downtime uh, in Nanaimo, what do you like doing? Um, uh, do you have, what are your hobbies? What are your interests outside of school and work? Well, there aren't, there aren't that many because I don't <laughs> have as much time. Um, I actually live in Qualicum Beach right now. I did live in Nanaimo. Um, and when I lived in Nanaimo, I lived in the old city quarter, obviously. Um, and I would walk, uh, I had a dog, so we would be walking to the, you know, we would do our walks down to the waterfront. Um, now that I'm I'm in Qualicum Beach, uh, I love Qualicum Beach because it has the little, um, it's got a very sort of, it's not, I'm not going to say it's a historic vibe, but it's got that same sort of Main Street feel that, that I had when I was in uh, Lexington. It's these individual little shops, so I love to go for walks and um, check out sort of the little urban part, I guess, if I can even call uh, you know, a town being urban. But then, of course, um, just being able to get to the beach, going out for a walk, uh, being in nature, that's the one thing that I think I miss the most being away from British Columbia, from the island, is the 
the green that we have, you know, um, just so much nature um, and being able to be out in nature. So that's what I try and do. Um, of course, I've got other hobbies like little arts and crafts kind of things, but uh, that usually has to wait until the summer because I don't usually have time during the school year. Katarina, thanks so much for joining me. It was really a pleasure to talk to you and I'm uh, looking forward to your colloquium presentation on Friday. Thanks very much, Theo. You've been listening to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to Katarina Litva for joining me in conversation. Technical production by Robin Davies. Music by Greg Bush. Colloquium series will be back in November 2022 with a presentation by Eliza Gardner from VIU's theatre department titled Story Through Song. For more information, go to ah.viu.ca and click on Colloquium Series. My name's Theo Finnegan. Thanks for listening.